Great is his faithfulness. Amen. As I was uh, singing that song, I was reminded of my grandparents who faithfully served in this city with, an, with another denomination for over 50 years in ministry. And I remember my grandfather's funeral pastors lined up the middle aisle as he went out. And it wasn't about I and Presley. It was about great is God's faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. And folks, I would just encourage you, you know, if it's not common or you're not used to raising your hands while you worship, as I was singing that song, I thought, you know, faithfulness is something we receive. We don't, we don't earn it. We don't deserve it. God gifts it to us. And so every now and then when we're singing, I would just encourage you, put your hands again and say, God, I'm singing today. I realize great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness is what I have received. Didn't deserve it, but yet you give it to me and I receive it. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. Great is his faithfulness. And because his faithfulness is so great, I want us to look this morning at a name, the name that makes mission possible in spite of opposition. And I'm sure you would agree with me this morning if, that all of us would prefer to live our lives peacefully with minimal opposition and conflict. I'm sure at one time in your life, every one of you have thought this thought, I really hate conflict. I really hate conflict. Well, fellow witnesses, God through Luke wants to remind us of something this morning. So that we will not be surprised, so that we will not be caught off guard. And it is this, on mission, expect opposition. Steve, you are on mission for the King of Kings now. You need to expect opposition. Look at what Paul said to the young pastor Timothy in 2 Peter. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do I hear an Amen. Wow, God bless you for your faith this morning. That's right. I thought it would be silent. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because the world hated Jesus. And we belong to Jesus. And we declare the good news of the kingdom of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, verse 18 and 19? If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. But just after that, Jesus assures his disciples. In John chapter 16 and verse 33. I have told you these things. So that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, we can experience peace and courage in the midst of trouble. Take heart, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, obediently proclaiming the good news of the kingdom in Jesus' name will attract opposition. It will attract opposition. But if we are bold and if we persevere in the mission through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will witness God save people, transform lives, including our own. Did you witness this morning the transformation of people's lives who God saved? Amen? Yeah. 
we witnessed it this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to read the first 31 verses. Acts chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? That's the healing of the lame beggar we learned about in chapter 3. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach that at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. What did Luke want Theophilus to learn from Peter and John's arrest as it relates to the rapid growth of the early church? I believe he wanted to highlight four key factors which influenced the rapid spread of the gospel through the early church, listen, in the face of opposition. 
And the first key factor I see from this passage is that the apostles did not shy away from speaking the truth, even if it was unpopular. Verse 1 says, the priests of the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Did any of us speak to the people this past week on mission? I sure pray we did. And the people were those who had run to see the lame beggar who had been healed. And what did Peter and John do? They took advantage of the opportunity the Lord had orchestrated. The Lord is the one who healed the lame beggar. The people have now gathered to witness this. And what do Peter and John do? They begin to publicly proclaim the good news. And specifically in this context, that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. A foundation of our Christian faith. You'll remember in John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, when Jesus is comforting Martha on the passing of her brother Lazarus, said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Resurrection from the dead and eternal life and fellowship with God can only be experienced through a relationship with Jesus Christ, who God raised from the dead. And Luke records in the passage in verse 2 that this truth, the hope of the resurrection of the dead in Christ, which Peter and John were publicly sharing with the people, greatly disturbed the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and especially the Sadducees. Have you ever experienced a negative reaction when sharing the truth? Have you ever seen someone greatly disturbed as you share the truth with them? I remember one instance in grade 12, it was in Mombasa, Kenya, and we were in a program where we were going around to schools, helping them with sports, and we also had our choir program with us, and we were invited to this one public school to share our program with them, and, as the choir, and there was no problem as long as we were talking sports and helping them out with that, but as soon as our choir started to sing and they heard the name Jesus... The population in that school was predominantly made up of people from one of the other leading religions in the world and started together to chant the name of their God over our grade 12 choir who was trying to declare the name of Jesus. Don't be surprised. People will become greatly disturbed when the truth that you share with them threatens their personal beliefs and agenda. They feel exposed under the light and the truth of Jesus. In John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says that, that people don't want to be in the light for fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. These leaders were upset because Peter and John were actually refuting one of the fundamental beliefs of those leadership team that was there. And therefore, they were threatening their authority as religious leaders. This group of leaders were, as one author said, wealthy, evil, control freaks, and they did not want anyone rocking their boat. And the reason the truth the apostles were publicly declaring about the resurrection of the dead in Christ was so offensive was because first the Sadducees did not even believe in the resurrection or the afterlife. And secondly, these same leaders had executed Christ as a blasphemer not long ago, and now Peter and John are proclaiming to the public that he has risen from the dead. 
They were a threat to their beliefs and their agenda of power and control. And so because the Sadducees under Roman rule had been given almost unlimited power over the temple grounds, they decided to arrest Peter and John for no other reason than publicly proclaiming the truth, something that contradicted their belief and threatened their agenda. As his witnesses on mission, brothers and sisters, our faith in Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word cannot be kept private. It cannot be kept private. Our king expects us to publicly proclaim the truth even when we know it is unpopular. Why? Because it is what will set people free. In John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, to the Jews that had believed, Jesus said, if you hold on to the truth, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you and whoever the Son sets free will be free indeed. Something caught my attention as I left my house on the news this morning that just reminded me that those that we interact with in our world are in captivity living in the kingdom of darkness. I don't know if you saw this morning the Friends star Matthew Perry passed away, age 54. But what caught my attention was someone who knew him was being interviewed, and this is what that lady said. Recently in a book that Matthew Perry wrote, he expressed that he just couldn't escape feeling alone in this world. Nothing seemed to be able to fill this hole in me. That was the words of Matthew Perry. We know what can fill the void that is in everyone's life, and it's Jesus. Jesus is the truth, and he sets captives free. So perseverance in obedience to the truth and to proclaiming it is evidence of genuine faith. That's a challenging statement. Perseverance in obedience to the truth and to proclaiming it is evidence of genuine faith. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, we read this verse, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. So brothers and sisters, in the face of opposition, speak the truth, even if it is unpopular. Because we, the church, the entire population of Christian believers has been given the responsibility on this earth to hold up and to hold forth the gospel to the world. Speak the truth, even if it's unpopular. The second factor that I note here is that the apostles were never about building a name for themselves. Their priority was to declare the name of Jesus. After spending a night in jail, Peter and John were brought before the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law who made up the Jewish council. I don't know about you, but one of my, one of my most terrifying experiences was being brought before a, a panel of pastors to be ordained. That was intimidating. Peter and John have just spent a night in jail, and now they've been called before 71 people. I want you to put yourself in their shoes. And they would have been fully aware that they were standing before the same council that had handed Jesus over to be killed. 
A group that would not have been pleased that the man they thought they had killed, Jesus, for the good of the nation, has followers who are just as persistent and potentially just as troubling as Jesus was. Are we a threat? And so they begin to interrogate Peter and John and ask them in verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? And Peter, who days before had cowered in front of a slave girl, denying that he even knew Jesus, here in this context is now filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly begins to speak his third sermon, filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want to take a minute quickly to help us understand what filled with the Holy Spirit means. In contrast to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a one-time act which God places believers into his family through, listen, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a continual reality of the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit living in us. It's being controlled by the Holy Spirit. I'm not continually receiving the Holy Spirit every day. The Holy Spirit indwells me and indwelt me the day God brought me into his family. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit is daily living under the control of the Spirit who lives in me. In Ephesians, Paul commands the believers to live continually under the influence and the control of the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit are the same thing. We need to remember that. So being filled controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit enabled Peter that day in answering the council to do three things. To direct glory to Jesus Christ, to tell them who Jesus is, and share with them boldly how they can be saved. Isn't that incredible? Not too long ago in front of a slave girl, he says, I don't even know this person. Now he's before the 71, the Supreme Court, of, and the ruling party of the nation. And he's going to tell them, I'm going to declare and give glory to Jesus. I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. And by the way, I'm going to tell you how you can be saved. So we see in verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's the glory for Jesus, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And who is Jesus? He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And how can you be saved? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved." You see what happens there? Peter not only gives them the answer, but in essence, he turns the table and puts them on trial. Even though he's on the defense witness stand, he puts them on trial, presenting the evidence that the one they had crucified has risen from the dead, and it is in the power of his name, Jesus Christ, that this beggar who's over 40 years old was healed. Rather than be defensive and protect their name. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, went on the offensive, boldly declaring the power in Jesus' name, giving Jesus glory. And then he kicks it into another gear and tells them who Jesus is. And we read there in verse 11, he quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22. Peter declares to the 71-member council the death and resurrection of Jesus to be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
He tells them Jesus is the stone that the builders, you, you 71 leaders of the nation rejected, who has now become the cornerstone. Now, I'm not into construction. So I had to do a little bit of research this week about the importance of a cornerstone. Cornerstone is that stone that forms the base of a corner of a building joining two walls, which the rest of the structure depends or is based on. So Peter is saying to them, Christ, who you rejected, whose name the lame man was healed by, has become the cornerstone of a new spiritual building, a new temple, the church, the people of God that was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And just as a cornerstone is used as a base to mark, to make sure that the other stones in the building are straight and level, so church, Jesus' life and teachings are our foundation. And without him, by the way, there is no salvation. Michael, Jordan, and Steve had no testimony today if it wasn't for Jesus. Verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I give you a challenge this week. Go out and let those in the kingdom of darkness know that. And report back and let me know how well it is received. When we speak this truth with others, we will be, be accused of being exclusive. So when accusations and opposition come, don't worry about defending your name, Calvin. I'm preaching to myself. But controlled by the Holy Spirit, simply proclaim what Jesus has declared about himself. John 14, 6, he told Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. Don't worry about building the name for yourself. There are only two religious paths, the broad way of works, salvation leading to eternal death, and the narrow way of faith in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone leading to eternal life. And sadly, the Sanhedrin, the 71 that Peter was speaking to, were on the first path. When we don't try to build a name for ourselves, but rather filled with the Spirit, take every opportunity, even under pressure, to boldly point people's attention to Jesus, God will use us to catch people's attention. And guess what? They will have nothing to say. Look at verse 13 and 14 when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Speak about Jesus. Speak about Jesus. Because there's power in his name. Speak the truth, even if it's unpopular. Speak about Jesus. There's power in his name. Thirdly, the apostles feared God more than man. Who do you fear more? Do we fear man? Or do we fear God? Brothers and sisters, we need to understand, we are at war. In the West, sometimes we don't realize we are at war. 
But once war shows up at the front step of your house, you will very quickly come to realize we are at war. I remember living through the War of Independence between Rhodesia and Zimbabwe, being in our room, thinking it was just another great African thunderstorm. Not realizing that my, what my brother and I were hearing were rockets and missiles going over the roof of our house from Mozambique into the city where we lived. Once we realized it wasn't thunder and lightning, things changed in how my family lived. Our garage became a bomb shelter. Sandbags. Down where you put, pull the car over the pit, that's where we would go. Sandbags. All of a sudden, we would travel with what? what? What is there a gun doing in the car, Dad? We are at war. We are at war. And it may not feel like it to you, but I don't want you to be caught off guard when the battle of spiritual warfare shows up at the front step of your house. Look what the Scripture says in Ephesians 6, verse 12. If I could just have that slide up there, if it's there. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We are in battle as spiritual warfare. The kingdom of God, which Dr. Frank talked about last week, and the kingdom of Satan. And in 1 Peter, Satan is referred to as a lion roaming, seeking who he can devour. We need to be warned today we are at war. That's why in Ephesians we're encouraged to put on the full armor of God every day. How many days this week did we go out of our house, our house totally vulnerable to spiritual attack because we did not have the full armor of God on our lives? So how did the spiritual warfare play out in Peter and John's experience? Well, it's interesting. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish National Ruling Party and Supreme Court found themselves in a predicament, didn't they? In verse 16, it says, what are we going to do with these men? Oh, that the city of Oshawa and the area of Durham region and the counselors and the mayors would go, what are we going to do with those people at Calvary Baptist Church? What a great compliment to God's work in our lives if they were to say that. Peter and John had broken no laws and performed a miracle that caught everyone's attention in Jerusalem. So here's how spiritual warfare happens. So to punish them would be a risky political move. For the leaders. That is why in verse 17, we see their focus shift from punishing them to forming a battle plan. And they began to strategize how to stop, listen how generic it is at first, how to stop this thing from spreading among the people. This thing being the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which the apostles were boldly proclaiming. And so they decided the best way to accomplish that would be, here's our battle plan, we're going to warn them. We're going to warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Doesn't that alone just encourage your heart and show how much the enemy feared the spirit-empowered witness of the church? I read that verse and went, that's so encouraging. They're trying to stop this. Rather than seek the truth, the council sought for some way to avoid the truth by trying to silence it. They did not want the good news of the gospel to spread. And yet what happened? Verse 3 and 4. That is exactly what was happening in the face of opposition. From 120 praying men and women in Acts 1. 
increasing to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. We read in our text today, and now there were more than 5,000 disciples in the fellowship. And I read something this week that so encouraged me. May 10th, 2023, in one service in Thailand, there were 1,028 people baptized. God is on mission. And notice how quickly their resolution, the kingdom of darkness, battle plan, their resolution to stop the spread of the gospel escalated. Verse 17, it says they had decided to warn Peter and John to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Now in verse 18, we read after calling Peter and John back before the council, look at how it changed. Now they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. To which Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 19, turned the tables again from being on trial to putting the council on trial by asking them, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? How ironic. You judges be the judges. <laughs> wow, that's bold. That's Holy Spirit work in witnesses' lives. And Peter, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, told them what they had already decided to do in, in verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were committed to testify to what they had seen and heard. They had seen with their own eyes, heard with their own ears, and touched with their own hands the resurrected Lord Jesus. And they were committed to do what was right in God's eyes, even if it was unpopular, and even if it was not safe in the context they lived in. In spite of intense opposition, arrested, put on trial, warned, commanded, threatened, obedience to God remained Peter and John's main concern. Who do you fear, God or man? In Matthew, we're told, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Peter knew what the Lord had commanded them to be. Acts 1, you will be my witnesses. And they were going to obey him. Christ's command trumped man's command to be silent. Like Peter and John, when we have the clear teaching of God's word on our side, we must, through the power of the Holy Spirit, take a stand for truth in the face of increasing threats and oppositions. Yes, God's word instructs us to obey government authority. But when government decrees are clearly contrary to God's word or violate our conscience, which is based on God's word, God must be obeyed first. Think of the midwives, the Hebrew midwives in Exodus. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. Who do you fear more, man or God? Peter and John's zeal for the Lord was so strong under the control of the Holy Spirit, they could not keep quiet even though they were being threatened. And look at verse 21 and 22. Talk about God's faithfulness. After further threats, just some shots on the way out, way out guys, they could not decide how to punish them. 
because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Isn't that a great verse? For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. We should not be surprised. Some people are going to reject us and try to silence us for obeying Christ's command to be his witnesses. And when minds are closed, even though the clearest presentation of the facts, the gospel is presented, they can't be opened unless God opens them. So don't give up as a witness. Pray for those who are resisting and rejecting and continue to stand firm. Do what is right in God's eyes and speak about what you have witnessed. Share your testimony. I have seen that the Lord is good and he has set me free. That's what we need to be doing. We need to speak the truth when it's unpopular. We need to speak about Jesus because there's power in his name. And we need to speak about what we have personally witnessed. Finally, I see that the early church knew boldness to be his witnesses can only come from God. It can only come from God. Opposed by the council, yet empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey the Lord, the apostles returned to their own people and reported the commands and threats of the Sadducees and priests before the people. And in the face of opposition, what did they do? Calling out to God in prayer was their first instinct. Calling out to God in prayer was their first instinct. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. The psalmist says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Their turning to God in prayer was in response to Peter and John's Holy Spirit bold witness and service to the Lord. Peter and John, in essence, had just come from the front lines where they were on mission in the trenches and God faithfully supplied everything they needed and they were now back with their own people. With their own people giving report, giving testimony. That's why... Folks, when we have guest missionaries come, we need to come and listen and support them. When you're on the front line and in the trenches, you know how encouraging it is to come and see fellow brothers and sisters there waiting to hear the report. Brothers and sisters, this highlights just how critical the relationships we have with one another are as we serve our king together on mission. We must keep intentionally investing in our relationships with one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Because what did we learn at the beginning? On mission, expect opposition. We are going to face all kinds of trouble and we are going to be under attack. And when that happens, we need the prayer, encouragement, and practical support from our own people. And did you notice Peter and John's experience did not frighten or discourage the other believers? Instead, it exhilarated them and prompted the believers to turn to God in prayer. Folks, we need each other. We need to get to know each other. We need to be prepared to be there for each other. It caught my attention. They didn't have a question and answer time with Peter and John. 
They didn't say like the rulers of the kingdom of darkness, we need to confer and figure out what we're going to do with these people. They didn't confer with one another, what they were going to do with these 71 leaders and what they had said. No, they went straight to God in prayer. They went straight to God in prayer. And I want us to notice in closing how they prayed. In prayer, they prioritized three things. First of all, verse 24, they prioritized declaring who God is. They said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord, absolute master. The God who is not only in control of all things, but the one who created all things. Why is it important to declare who God is in our prayers? Because as we do, it reminds us that if our God is the absolute master and Lord of heaven and earth, which he created, but not only that, what he, which he sustains, what have we to fear? What have we to fear? Later on in his first epistle, Peter encouraged the suffering saints to yield themselves to, listen, the faithful creator. If you ha are having doubts about whether God's ability to care for you, go back and read the creation story in Genesis. <laughs> he created everything. He sustains everything. He is the absolute master and he loves you. Declare who God is as you pray to him. They also prioritize recalling his word in their prayers. In verse 25 and 26, we see there that they quoted from Psalms 2, verse 1 and 2. The ch early church reminded itself of God's sovereignty and providence over all history. And Psalm 2 describes the victory of the Lord and His anointed one against the conspiracies of the nation on them. And although the psalm originally grew out of the crowning of a new king, most likely David, its ultimate message was pointing forward to the king of kings, Jesus Christ. And then Luke records how God's sovereignty over all history is on display, even in how his son, Jesus Christ, was dealt with. Even Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the people of Israel who met together in Jerusalem to conspire against Christ and appeared to be victorious when they crucified him, what does Luke record? Did only what God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And the early believers applied the message of this psalm, the victory of the Lord and his anointed one against the conspiracies of a nation to their own situation. And they saw the victory of the Lord on display in Peter and John's case over the conspiracy of the Sanhedrin. So there is no need to fear. He is the absolute master who created everything, sustains everything. He's sovereign over all the events of history, including what is taking place in our lives today. The early church strongly believed in God's sovereignty and his perfect plan for his people based on his word, based on his word and on what they had seen and heard. They prioritize declaring who God is. They prioritize recalling his word. And finally, they prioritize committing themselves to the mission. Listen, above comfort. Above comfort. Look at verse 29. After building a case in their hearts and minds of who God is, recalling his word, how great he is, verse 29 says, now Lord, Consider their threats. Isn't that unbelievable? 
In light of who we know you are, here's our request. Smoke them. <laughs> I wonder if they were British. I could, hear, I could hear Mary Bond say, consider their threats. It's unbelievable. Consider their threats. They did not ask for protection or fire from heaven to destroy their enemies. What did they ask for? They asked for power from heaven to speak his word with great boldness. Boldness to talk it up, proclaim the kingdom of the good news of the kingdom in the face of opposition. They prayed for boldness and perseverance rather than comfort. And what else did they pray in verse 30? That God, please stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The name that makes mission possible in spite of opposition. Ultimately, they wanted Christ to be glorified because they knew it was, the power was in his name to boldly proclaim the word and to perform miracles. Therefore, his name deserves all the glory. So brothers and sisters, in the midst of opposition, I pray that we will grow so that our first instinct is to call out to God. Call out to God. Speak to the Lord. He is our help and our source of boldness. Speak the truth when it's unpopular. Speak about Jesus because there's power in his name. Forgive me. For, speak about what you have witnessed. And finally, speak to the Lord. He is our help and source of boldness. And what happened in verse 31? Can you imagine being in that prayer meeting? Wow. Can you imagine if this building just started to shake? I think most of us would run. <laughs> they didn't run. After they prayed, priority number one, we're going to speak to the Lord. The place where they were meeting was shaken. What was the result? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, controlled and empowered by the indwelling Spirit, and spoke the word of God boldly. In the face of opposition. Church family, if we obediently proclaim the good news of the kingdom, it is going to attract opposition. But I trust we are encouraged today that we can be bold and we can persevere in the mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we do, we will witness God save people, transform lives, including our own. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word of warning and your word of encouragement to us today. Great is your faithfulness. We know how the story will end. We will be with you forever. So God, I pray as the early church prayed that while we journey with you 
till the end of the story happens, would you enable us through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak the good news of the kingdom boldly, even in the face of opposition? Thank you for encouraging us that we have nothing to fear. You are absolute master, creator and sustainer of all things, sovereign over all history, including our individual lives. Help us, we pray, in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who you raised from the dead and will return one day. May he find us faithful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There is a name that makes mission possible. It's Jesus. And we bear his name as citizens of his kingdom. And as we close this morning, I want to ask the pastors, and I'm going to actually invite their wives as well, if you'd join, if you're up at the front after the service, pastors, and if your wives, you would come. We are here to pray. First things, things we're going to call out to God in prayer. Two things, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, please come. We would love to introduce you to Jesus. He loves you. He overcame death so that you can have eternal life. Come and receive Jesus as your Savior. But if you are here this morning and you will say, Pastor Calvin, I have definitely, as his witness, feared man more than God. Would you pray with me that God will help me to overcome my fear to be a witness? I want to be bold, controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come. Let's call out to God first. He answered their prayer. He enabled them to speak boldly the word of God. Come. Don't leave today. Come. First things think, God, I need your help for salvation. I need your help for boldness to overcome fear of man. Come. We will call out to our great God. So as you go this week, fellow witnesses, speak boldly. Speak boldly the truth even when it's unpopular. Speak boldly about Jesus Christ because there's power in his name. Speak boldly about what you have personally witnessed and speak to the Lord. He is our help and source of boldness. May God bless you as you minister on the battlefield for the good news of the kingdom of God this week. Amen.